0: If you weren't here last week, you missed out, I'm a little loud. Thomas preached, he preached a message called Two Ways of Life, he did an excellent job and so I want to encourage you to go online and and download that, listen to it if you you weren't here last week. But now we're going to go ahead and pick back up where we left off two weeks ago, back in the book of Romans, trying to complete a section here in Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 6, this will be part 3 and I believe we'll conclude today in this section of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, I'd ask you to grab one of those blue ones located underneath the seats around you, and if you flip that open to page 939, 939, that'll bring you to this section here in Romans, where we are. So, as you know, we've been talking about this. I titled this message Paul's Precious Message, and Again, just by way of reminder, precious means highly valued, highly valued, very much loved, and considered to be of great importance. That's a definition of precious. So I call the gospel, which is what Paul's message was, his precious message because he cherished it. He loved it. It was of the utmost importance to him. You know, we can, we can identify what is really important to us through two two ways. We, and you probably heard this before. It used to, you used to be able to say through your calendar and your checkbook, through your calendar and your checkbook. I can't say checkbook anymore because this new generation doesn't even keep a checkbook. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not saying that's wrong or anything. I'm just saying when I grew up, you kept a checkbook, you balanced the checkbook. Now they just look online and whatever the account says, they go, that's how much money we have. And I don't get that, but that's okay. That's what the new generation does. So I won't say checkbook anymore. I'll say calendar and cash. Okay, does that work? By our calendar and our cash. And by that I mean, where do you spend your time? Right? When you look at your calendar, if you, if you keep one, or just look over the last week or month, where do you spend your time? What do you give your time to? What do you give most of your time to? That will tell you what is most important or at least important to you. Okay? So obviously you give a good portion of your time, many of you, to work right? Because it's important. Without work, you don't eat, you don't have a place to live, right? That's what I mean by that. But if you say God is important, if you say the church is important, which is God's institution, not man's, and you see very little time in your life being given to those things, to the church, to the reading of God's word, to the things of God, then don't kid yourself. It's not that important to you you understand what I'm saying? I'm going to go for the same for cash. Where do you spend your cash? What do you give your money to, your hard-earned money? That'll tell you what's important to you. So if you were to compare and you looked and you find yourself giving more to entertainment or to eating out than you do to the things of God, then don't kid yourself. Those other things are more important to you than the things of God. Paul gave his life, Paul gave up his life in the end, but while he lived, he gave his life, leading to his execution for the gospel. It was the most important thing to him. Romans chapter 1, 1 through 6, we'll read through the text together. This is basically an introduction, a summary of the gospel that Paul is going to, Lay out for us in the 16 chapters of the book of Romans. And we've been kind of working through this together slowly. Paul, beginning here verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, what we've been doing now for the past several weeks, we're going to continue to consider six truths about the gospel. We've already looked at the first three. So that we might truly treasure it, the gospel, and be motivated to proclaim it just as the Apostle Paul did. Just by way of reminder, those points, were, and these are in your outline, inside of your bulletin. The first three points we looked at were the gospel is attributed to God. I'll quickly review these. Second, the gospel is affirmed by the holy scriptures. Third, the gospel is about all about God's Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. Fifth, now we'll be looking at these today. The gospel is designed. I missed one. Fourth, the gospel is demanding obedience to Jesus Christ the Lord. Fifth, the gospel is designed for all the nations. And sixth, finally, the gospel is dedicated to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's where we're going. We'll, Lord willing, cover those last three points this morning. By way of reminder or review, or if you weren't here, let me quickly summarize, very quickly, the first three points. The first one, the gospel is attributed to God. We got that out of verse one. So we said, it is not man's message, okay? It's not his message. It's not a human message But rather, it is a message that originated or came from God. It's his message. It's his message of good news to the world. And since it is God's message to us, it makes it the most important, most meaningful, and most valuable message for us to know, to treasure, and to pass on. Okay? That's kind of what we talked about in that message in that point. Second, the gospel, it's not only God's message, but it's also affirmed by the Holy Scriptures. By that, we said, support for and confirmation of the gospel of God that Paul proclaimed is found in the oldest and largest part of the Bible called the Old Testament, or as Paul referred to it when he wrote Romans... The Holy Scriptures, okay? And we talked about that. The Holy Scriptures are that at that time was the Old Testament. It was, a, it was collected books, which we now call the Old Testament. The New Testament was still being completed. Later on, as the New Testament was fully completed, gathered together and recognized by the church, it was added to the Old Testament and became the collection that we have today, which we refer to as the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, the Sacred Writings. So on and so forth. But at the time Paul wrote this, when he used the word Holy Scriptures, he was referring to the Old Testament. And he says clearly that the gospel of God is affirmed in those holy scriptures. So the gospel Paul explained in detail in Romans was not some message, here's the point, that just came out of nowhere, all right, or out of the blue. Nor was it invented by men or even by Paul. The gospel was not invented by Paul, and Paul wants to make that clear, and he points out, listen, the gospel of God was promised long ago, and we got this from verse 2, by God through his prophets, and guess what? It was written down and has been preserved by God to this day. Do You understand that? The very scriptures that Paul was talking about over 2,000 years ago are the same ones we hold in our laps this morning. Incredible. Incredible, especially when you consider all that has come against the Holy Scriptures. Men driven by Satan trying to destroy them, eradicate them, remove them from the face of the planet. But they were up against God. So it was impossible. And God has preserved these Holy Scriptures for us, and in them the gospel of God is proclaimed. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, intertwined into the pages of the message. Of Jesus Christ our Lord. Third. The gospel is about. God's son. Jesus Christ the Lord. The gospel beloved or good news of God. Is centered on. Fixed on. The very person of Jesus Christ. The good news or the good message. That we proclaim. That we believe. Includes who he truly is. Who he truly is. What he has willingly done on behalf of wretched sinners. That's us. That's us. And what he will do. In the future. According to the sure certain word of God. The content and focus of the gospel beloved is Jesus Christ the Lord. That is what makes it so precious and important and worthy. Of us giving our lives to make it known regardless of the cost. Do you understand? This is not any message. This is a message about Him. Jesus Christ the Lord. This is why Paul, we closed with this a couple of weeks ago. You see this in 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. And Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor. You know what he tells him? He says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. And he's writing that from inside of a prison, Paul is. Paul is in prison for the preaching of the gospel, for the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. And shortly after that letter, he will be executed for being a Christian. And Paul says, these are my final words, basically. That's what 2 Timothy is, Paul's final words. What does he say? You know, your final words are probably going to be your most important words, right? You're dying on your bed. You're not going to just talk about the Lakers, right? You're not going to talk about silly things. These are going to be some of the most important words you ever speak, because you know they'll be your last. And Paul gave his most important words. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, a descendant of David. Now, point four. The gospel is demanding obedience to Jesus Christ the Lord. The gospel is demanding obedience. The good news of Jesus Christ is demanding obedience to Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's look at it together. Romans chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Reading there. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about. Here's the phrase. The obedience of faith, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Your translation may say Gentiles. We'll get to that in a second. Verse six, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You may not remember, but when we introduced the book of Romans, the book of Romans is written primarily to Gentiles, to Gentiles. We're going to talk more about this. The church was made up mostly of Gentiles, but also had a a minority of Jewish people, all who had given their lives to Jesus Christ, all who declared him as Lord. So Paul just says in verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. It's I'm including you in this to all the Gentiles, including you Gentiles who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, before we focus in on the phrase obedience of faith and the fourth point in this outline, I want to just look at the first part of verse 5. So you can look back at the text with me. Just look at it there in your Bibles. The through whom. The through whom in verse 5. Do you see that there? That's how it begins. Through whom. You see it? Clearly refers back to Jesus Christ our Lord. Just look at the very end of verse 4. Do you see it? Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5. Through whom. It's referring back to him. Though we, through whom we, may refer to Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, and his fellow apostles, who, we are told, had received grace and apostleship, okay? So you, you, may, you could understand it that way, Paul and his fellow apostles. It may also be, and don't, get, don't freak out about this, it's just a detail, it could also be an editorial we, an editorial we, Or what some call an epistolary plural. An epistolary plural. Which is where the writer would use we to actually refer to himself. Why would a writer do that? Well, according to Bible scholars, it was used, it could be used to speak modestly of oneself. Instead of saying I, they would say we or to show politeness when they were asserting authority. Okay? Now, either way, I just point that out for you, either way, the we, whether it be a reference specifically to Paul as an epistolary plural, or an editor's we, editorial we, which it could be, or it's a reference to Paul and his, and the other apostles, as he was an apostle. Looking now, again, according to verse 5, They have or has, depending on how you understand, we received from Jesus Christ grace and apostleship. You see that in the text? It's right there. It's in your Bibles. They've received grace and apostleship. Now, the word grace, we just got to work through this before we get to the point. Otherwise, we don't understand the point. The word grace basically means whenever you hear that word grace, it basically means unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Favor, okay? Unmerited. You don't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. And favor, I think you guys understand what that means. So to receive grace, you could say, you could say it this way, is to receive a benefit or a gift you don't deserve. You got it? To receive grace is to receive a benefit or a gift you don't deserve. In regard to the word apostleship, so he says we've received grace and apostleship. Staying in the context, if we look back at verse 1, where we were several weeks ago, we're told there in the Scriptures that Paul said he was called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. And when we talked about that in in a previous message, I said that it means, if you look at it in its entirety and and explore what Paul is really saying, it means that Paul was divinely chosen and appointed as an apostle or a commissioned messenger. Okay, you can think of it that way. A commissioned messenger of Jesus Christ to receive, preserve, protect, defend, and proclaim The gospel of God that was given to him directly by Jesus Christ the Lord. Paul then was a divinely appointed ambassador of the gospel of God. You could say it that way. A divinely appointed ambassador of the gospel of God. Now, when we take all that and we take the idea of grace and apostleship as we understand it here in the text, this phrase, grace and apostleship, would be best understood in the context of Romans and Paul's other writings, and I'm going to talk to you about that in a second, as Paul's way of speaking about the gracious gift of apostleship that he received from from Jesus Christ. The gracious gift of apostleship that he received from Jesus Christ. Or as one writer would put it, The phrase grace and apostleship is Paul's way of referring to, hear me, the undeserved privilege of being an apostle. The undeserved privilege of being an apostle. And when you look at Paul's letters, you'll see this. You'll see that he repeatedly links his apostleship to the grace or undeserved favor that he received from God to be an apostle. That's what he. I believe that's what he's communicating when he says we have received grace in apostleship. And you'll see that. By the way, you can write these down and look at them later. Romans twelve six, Romans fifteen fifteen through sixteen, First Corinthians fifteen nine through ten, Galatians one fifteen two nine, Ephesians three one through eight. These are all just sections in Paul's letters where he links together that idea of the grace. That he received in order to receive this great gift of apostleship that God gave him. One example, I'll go back and I'll just read it to you. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. Just so you understand, because maybe you don't know about the life of Paul. Paul persecuted the church of God before Jesus Christ came into his life. Converted him and gave him the office of of apostleship and the responsibility to take the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. He persecuted the church. He persecuted Christians because he thought that they were preaching something that was wrong or incorrect. So he was responsible for having them locked up, persecuted, stoned, even maybe killed. Because of that, Paul never forgets that. So you see a reference to that, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says... In verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. I am the least unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, I love these. Like I said, I've said before, there are these buts in the Bible. And I'm not trying to be funny, but they are huge, they're significant. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's referring to his apostleship. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So again, just this reference that he connects the grace of God and his apostleship together, and that's exactly what I believe he's doing here in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. So, why did Paul receive grace and apostleship? Or, as I've said, the undeserved privilege of being an apostle. Why was Paul set apart or chosen by God to proclaim the gospel to the world? Well, according to verse 5, it was to bring about the obedience of faith. That's why. At least that's one reason. This is why God set his grace on Paul to bring about to preach the gospel. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith. What is that? Now listen, this is important for us to grasp as Christians and get right. Because if we don't get it right, what could happen is we will water down or compromise the true gospel of God. That will make sense to you in a second if you don't understand what I'm saying. These two words, obedience and faith, in the scriptures are inseparable. You understand what I mean? They always go together. They are not to be separated as if they're two distinct things that never look at each other or not connected or have no relationship. As one writer says, when you see the one obedience or faith, you see the other in the scriptures. A person cannot, the writer goes on to say, have genuine faith without having obedience. They cannot, nor vice versa, nor vice versa. They cannot have genuine obedience without having faith. Here's just an example of that, just one in the book of Romans. Paul will make two parallel statements that demonstrate what I'm talking about. The two go together. There's a relationship that should not be pulled apart. They are meant to go together. Obedience and faith. So, for instance, in Romans chapter 1, we're getting there, verse 8. Paul will say, first, speaking to the church in Rome, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why, Paul? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, listen, he's not saying... Their faith, the gospel, is, is proclaimed in all the world. He's saying their faith is being proclaimed. Their belief in Jesus Christ is being proclaimed in all the world. How is that exactly? Then we get to the end of Romans sixteen nineteen. Here's how. For your obedience is known to all. Therefore, so that I rejoice over you. See, there is a a connection between obedience and faith. They know about their faith through their obedience. Not obedience in general. Obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if the text said, For your disobedience is known to all? See, it won't say that. It won't say that. Even though that may appear what... What the church, some in the church look like today, where we're trying to say on one hand, your faith is known. Oh, by the way, so is your disobedience. That's crazy. That is not biblical. It's not scriptural. Somewhere, something went wrong and someone got the gospel wrong to suggest that we can have faith without obedience or true obedience without faith. It's not biblical. So the phrase obedience of faith should be understood this way, okay? Our obedience as Christians begins with, think about this, it begins with and consists of faith. A faith. And our ongoing obedience is driven by or produced by that very same faith. To say it another way, obedience to God Begins for the sinner with trusting or having faith in the truth about God's Son. That He is Jesus Christ, the what? Lord. Let's try that again. We have faith or belief in the truth about God's Son. That He is Jesus Christ, the what? Ooh, that was good. That was good. The only Savior of sinners, the only one, and believing the truth about his Son consequently leads to obedience because of what we believe about Jesus. Get this. He is not just another man. Any Amen? He is not just another man. He is not just a nice fellow. Amen. He is not just a good example for us to follow. That was weak, but I'll accept it. Save your big amen for this. But he is, according to God, according to the Scriptures, the Lord. Okay, okay. Now listen. The Greek word, curios. I could be mistranslating a little bit or not mistranslating, saying it a little bit wrong. Kyrios. That Greek word, translated Lord, could be defined this way. Now remember, don't pop it up. Remember, you just said this one whom you have faith in is Jesus Christ the Lord. Lord. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That means that Greek word translated Lord means this. Now we can pop it up. It means this. The supreme being. I mean, at its core, that's what it means. The supreme one. There is no one greater. The supreme being to whom all allegiance, obedience, and worship is due. You got that? And You may not know this. But there's something called a Septuagint. It's a a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay? The word that is used for Lord of Jesus Christ is the same exact word that they use for God in the Old Testament, in the Greek Septuagint. Because there is one God. One supreme being who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now listen to me. When Lord is used by Christians as a title for Jesus Christ, and it is appropriate, it should be understood by us as a complete expression of our absolute commitment to Him. That's what it means to have faith in him. One writer says this. Paul saw his task as calling men and women to submission to the lordship of Christ. A submission that begin with conversion. It starts there. In order for me to be obedient, I must place my faith in him and believe he is who he said he is. Okay? So it starts there. Even my obedience has to consist of faith. But which was to continue now in a deepening lifelong commitment. This obedience to Christ as Lord is always closely related to faith, both as an initial decisive step of faith and as a continuing faith relationship with Christ. Remember this passage in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. I know you've heard it. If you confess, Paul says, with your mouth. If you say the same thing. That's what confess means. Say the same thing. Agree with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Here it is again. The supreme being. God. Very God in the flesh. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Father raised him up, you will be saved. Beloved, we don't make Jesus Lord. That's some nonsense. That's not scriptural. You don't just decide in your life at one point to go, All right, I've received you as Jesus, as Savior, thank you. Now I'm ready to take another step in my Christian walk. Now I'm going to go ahead and say you're Lord. I don't know where that even comes from because it doesn't come from the Bible. It doesn't come from the Bible, guys. And yet people talk like that. That means that I can be saved and live my life kind of however I want. Hey, I'm good. I'm not going to hell. And then maybe when I want to get serious now, okay, now I'll make you Lord. That is nonsense. It is not biblical. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. Right? He is Lord. Okay. And he deserves the praise for that. To be clear here, just so that I don't confuse anybody, the gospel is certainly not a message about how we as sinners are saved by our obedience. It is not a message about that. That is not the gospel. That's a false gospel. But rather, the gospel is all about Jesus Christ, the Lord, who alone can save us. And as the Lord, He is due all of our obedience. All of our worship. All of our allegiance. Do you get that? Through faith, beloved, through faith, we continually see Him for who He really is. Through faith. The Supreme One And as we see him rightly, we act accordingly. We come under him. We obey him. For he is Lord. This is, beloved, this is the obedience of the faith. This is the obedience of faith that Paul is speaking about. That he preaches the gospel to bring about among the nations. The idea that faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord, and obedience to Him don't have to go together, as I've already said, is not an idea that can be supported by the Bible. That type of erroneous thinking cheapens or waters down the gospel, making it nothing more than really just a way to escape hell. Fire assurance. And foolishly gives people the idea that they can believe in Jesus, okay? This is the wrong idea. I can believe in Jesus and I can remain the captain of my own soul. The master of my own destiny. That I answer to no one except myself. That's wrong. That's wrong if you're a Christian. That's wrong. Because you have faith in Jesus the Christ, the what? The Lord, the Lord. And as one writer says, or Paul says, actually, in Philippians chapter two, verse nine, he says this. Therefore, God has highly speaking of Jesus, exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. What is that? What is that picture? Every knee should bow. Submission. We don't get it because we don't have kings, okay? We don't have kings. We have elected presidents. We are a government for the people, by the people, so on and so forth, right? We don't live under kings. But if you had a king, you don't come into the presence of the king without bowing. And when the king comes into your presence, you bow. It demonstrates utter submission. He is over you. What he says absolutely goes. And no one can do anything about it. Praise God we have a good king. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess. What are they going to confess? Jesus Christ is Lord. Is Lord. The supreme being to whom all obedience and worship and allegiance is absolutely due. And they're going to confess that to the glory of God the Father. Beloved. Every knee will bow. Every knee. Some now through faith. Others in the end through force. Through force. Every rebel will bend their knee. Every rebel. It would be much better to bend now by faith. And escape the judgment to come. The gospel, point four, is demanding obedience to Jesus Christ the Lord. Number five, the gospel is designed for all the nations. Look at this with me, Romans chapter 1, 5 through 6. Again, looking at the text, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to To Jesus Christ. Now your translation as I said before might read Gentiles instead of nations. Okay. If you're looking at your translation maybe it says Gentiles. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. If you look into your Bibles at the end of Romans chapter 1 verse 13 at the very end of that verse. The very same Greek word that in the ESV they're translating nations. You'll see in that ESV they're translating it Gentiles. It's the same Greek word. So I'll talk a little bit more about that. But let me show you a few passages. The same Greek word that we just read that in the ESV is translated nations is being used in the ESV in Romans 3.29. And this will kind of start to give you an idea about what's going on behind this word. Paul says, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? And he answers the question, yes, of Gentiles. Also, we're going to come back to this. Romans 11, 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Remember I said that this was primarily addressed to an audience of Gentiles, the church, some Jews. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle, a commissioned messenger, to who? The Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. Romans 15, 15 through 16. Every time you're seeing Gentiles, same exact word being translated nations. That we just looked at in the beginning of Romans. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God. Here's that connection again with his apostleship and grace. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. In the priestly service of the gospel of God. All right. When you see the word Gentiles, or in this case, nations, as it is translated in the ESV in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Romans, you could think of it this way. It is referring to non-Jewish people, to non-Jewish people or people groups that are outside of the nation of Israel, or by that I mean other nations, other nations, okay? Non-Jewish people, people outside of the nation of Israel, other nations, Gentiles. And so it can be translated nations, it can also be translated Gentiles, just depending on the context. Now, here's a few things that you need to know. You may already know them, but if you don't, I want you to know them. Jews despised Gentiles. Did you know that? Because it's going to be important for you to know as we move through the book. They despised Gentiles or the other nations. And they did that for several reasons, okay? It wasn't just because they woke up one day and decided, we don't like anybody else. That's not the issue. The Gentiles, for the most part, primarily did not worship the God of Israel. Is there any other God? No. Yet they worshipped many other gods. They did not worship the God of Israel. They rejected the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And instead of worshipping the true God, they were known for idolatry. They worshipped all kinds of fake, false gods. And because of that, they were also known for their immorality. Their immorality. You worship a false god, it'll lead to a messed up life. A life that is inconsistent with the life that God has called his people to. Immorality. Some of the grossest kinds, even in many cases. So, and beyond all that, they often took every opportunity they could to persecute the Jewish people. Okay? So there was a tension. This is a long drawn out from over many, many years tension and it existed between the Jews and the Gentiles even in the church. Even in the church. It was a big problem because now through Christ Jews and Gentiles are coming together into one body. But we've got all this pent-up hostility towards one another over all of these decades and centuries, okay? And Paul will deal with that as we move through the book of Romans. So that's the first thing I want to make sure you know. Second, Paul, who was a Jew. Did you know he was a Jew? He's a Jew, and he's not any Jew. I mean, this is the Jew of all Jews. I mean, born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee according to the law. I mean, he's, he's committed to Jew, Judaism and Jewish things, I mean, he's it. You want to know what a Jew is? He is it. And yet God calls that man to be an apostle to who? To Gentiles, to the other nations. Wow. The other people groups. He calls that man to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the Lord. And if you want to see that in your scriptures, here's some passages. Just write them down. Acts 9.15. Acts twenty-two twenty-one, Acts twenty-six, seventeen and following verses, Romans eleven, thirteen, Romans fifteen, sixteen, and following verses, Galatians 1 16, Galatians 2 2, Ephesians 3 8. All of these as references to what I just said. Okay, biblical passages where you can refer, so you know that I'm not making this up, that's coming from the scriptures. Why was Paul called to go to the Gentiles? Why? Because, beloved, God never intended that the Messiah or Christ that He promised in the Old Testament would only come to benefit the Jewish people. He never intended that. He never intended that. The gospel of God, the message about His divine Son, Jesus Christ the Lord, would be a message for all people. For every nation on the earth, good news for all. For every single person who obediently responds in faith to that message. And, by the way, bad news for those who refuse Jesus, since he is the one, according to the word of God, who will judge the living and the dead. You might want to check that. Acts 10.42. 2 Timothy four 1, 1 Peter 4, five. He is the one who will judge the living and the dead. And as we just looked at in Philippians, he is the one where every person, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will come before him and bow in submission. He is the one. Paul, the appointed apostle to the Gentiles, understood very well that the gospel of God, his good message, was intended for more than just the Jewish people. And he refers to that very fact in the Scriptures. I want to show you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Now we're jumping in. There's a big context here, but I think we can just look at this and pull this out. It says, "...and the Scripture..." Now Paul's speaking. "...and the Scripture..." he's referring to the Old Testament again, foreseeing, looking ahead, that God would justify, there's that word, Gentiles. Same word, translated nations, in the beginning of Romans that we're looking at this morning. He would justify, he would declare the Gentiles right. How? By their works. By faith. Preach the gospel. Now listen to what he's saying. I'm going to use this word, okay? He personifies the scripture. All that means is, He views the Scripture as a person in this case. So he's saying the Scripture is preaching, like a person would. That's what we mean by personify. So he says, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that Scripture preached the Gospel beforehand, before Jesus even came to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations All the nations, same word translated Gentiles, nations, same Greek word, translated Gentiles there, nations there. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. Paul is quoting now from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where that promise is made to Abraham by God. And by the way, it's made several more times in Genesis, but if you want to see it, you can see it in Genesis 12, verse 3. That promise, or these promises, were made by God to a man named Abraham, okay? Who by God's choice, God's choice and design, became the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham. He became the father of the nation of Israel, or the Jewish people. And through Abraham, more specifically, through his descendants, or offspring, According to the word of God, according to the promises of God, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Are you with me so far? And we see that, for instance, in Genesis 22, it gets a little more specific. It's not just in you, Abraham, all the nations of the blood will be blessed. All right, a little more detail. And in your offspring, in your offspring or your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How exactly would all the nations of the earth? Be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the offspring of Abraham. When you look at your genealogies in Matthew chapter 1, look at that verse. Chapter 1, verse 1. It identifies Jesus Christ as a son of Abraham. A son of Abraham. And when we when we think of that, you know, I say I'm a son of my dad Dan, it means I have an immediate relationship as son father, but when they use that terminology son, it means a descendant of. Okay? So obviously, Jesus was not born to Abraham, right? We know his parents, they were Joseph and Mary and more carefully, God the Father. But that line if you trace it all the way back traces back to Abraham. This one, the son of Abraham, came from heaven into this world as a man and was a blessing, beloved, like no other blessing for all the nations. How? Through what he did to make the forgiveness of sins and permanent reconciliation with God a reality for every single person who would place their faith in or trust in Jesus Christ The Lord. Who he is. And what he really did. That is how. The descendants. Descendant of Abraham. The offspring of Abraham. Would bless all the nations. Paul was graciously called. To be an apostle. Set apart for the gospel of God. So that through the proclamation. Of that gospel. Men and women from every nation. Not just Jews. But from every nation would in faith submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, be saved and continue in a deepening and lifelong commitment, a life characterized by ever increasing obedience to him. Now we've just basically brought that all together so far what we've covered. One writer says this, Paul's desire was to take the gospel to the entire world and see the nations turn to God in a faith that changes conduct. Now, just something to think about. Since God this is just something, you know, for you to consider since God from the very beginning intended his gospel the good news of his son Jesus Christ to be for the entire world, not just one race or group of people, but indeed to every tribe and language and nation. That's what we read in Revelation 5, 9, right? Revelation 5-9 pictures the church and the future, and there are people praising God from every tongue, tribe, nation. Since that is true, how then can racism fit into God's design for the gospel? It can't. It cannot. It cannot. The gospel doesn't allow for it. The the true gospel completely rejects racism. It completely rejects it. Pride. Arrogant pride in your race and disdain for others. Hatred for others who are not your ethnicity. Not of your nation. Not of your race. Is not of God. End of story. It's not of God. You know what it is? It's a result of our sin. Filthy, vile, wicked sin. And it is used by the number one enemy of the gospel. You know who that is? That is Satan. It is used by him to hinder... The advancement of the gospel. Think about it. That's the big picture. If I'm hating or not wanting to associate with another group of people, then I'm never going to be with them long enough to tell them the gospel. Am I? You start to see the big picture. You know, we, they talk about r- racism and all, and I'm not just talking about black and white race. There's racism in all kinds of forms. There's brown on brown racism. There's white. There's some green and blues and purple. There's all kinds of mixed up. I don't even, it's all over it. It you know moves in all kinds of ways. I don't like you because you're not born of this nation. I don't like you because you're born on the other side of the railroad tracks. It's all stupidity. It's all sin. It's all sin. And God, you not God, Satan uses it because he knows what God is doing. God wants this gospel to go to all nations. So this is just one of his many evil, vile tactics. If I can get them all hating on one another or not feeling okay around one another, then I will disturb what God is doing. So he thinks. And this is why the gospel, when it comes into our life, should set us free from the idiocy of racism. When we begin to look at the gospel and realize, God, you designed the gospel that saved me for every tribe and tongue and nation. It is your purpose that all people from all over this planet with all kinds of different languages and colors of skin that you gave them would praise the name of Jesus Christ. You see? The gospel designed by God to be for all the nations, all peoples, all races. Therefore, beloved, any sinful attitudes, and guess what? You may come into the church, and you could be born again. That's what I mean by coming to the church, not just show up here and sit in the chairs. But you come into the church of the living God, because you have been born again. You have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And yet, you bring with you all of those stuff, all that racism stuff. You bring it with you. You know what you got to do? You got to repent. Because it has no place with the gospel. It has no place. You got to repent. That's what we got to do. And when it comes up again, you repent. And we do that by informing our mind and seeing the scriptures and realizing this is sin. It is sin and it is a tactic of the devil. All right. The gospel is demanding obedience. I know. One more point. We're going to do it fast. The gospel is demanding obedience to Jesus Christ the Lord. The gospel is designed for all the nations. God designed it for all the nations. The gospel is dedicated to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ the Lord. We've got to finish on this because this is the point. This is really, this is kind of the culmination of all of this. This is the apex, the summit. Huh. Romans 1.5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name among all the nations. Now just don't take it down. In the original Greek, I just want to mention this to you. For the sake of his name is actually at the end. It's at the end. So what it really reads is, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for the sake of his name at the end now they reword it because they think maybe that makes it more readable i wish they would have left it the other way because that's what paul's communicating that's where he wants to conclude here that's the point he wants to make for the sake of his name now what does that mean well let's start with his name by the by the context we know paul's referring to jesus christ right it's jesus christ the lord the one through whom grace and apostleship was received verse 4 nothing's changed he's still talking about jesus christ the lord his name in the ancient world and in the Bible, according to the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, it's a real big book. I, I love this book. I would encourage you to get it. It's, like a big, it's a big dictionary about theological words. This is what they say. A name was not merely a label. That's how we think of it. But that is not how they thought of it in ancient times and certainly in the Bible. A name was not merely a label, but was virtually, virtually equivalent to whoever or whatever bore it or had it. So in other words, a name was associated with the reputation, authority, power, or the character of the person. Let me say it another way. The name, to speak of a name, means it was attached to the true character and significance of the person who bore that name. One example would be God changing people's names in the Bible. You might remember this. For instance, in Genesis 17, 5, he changed Abram's name to Abraham and it meant something more significant I'm not going to stop and go into that right now he changed in Genesis 32 28 Jacob's name to Israel or Israel God did that and to this day because of that thinking in Orthodox Judaism a dying person's name is sometimes officially changed in the hope that a new name might bring them health or even new life That's how rooted this idea is. So what's the point of all that? Paul's preaching of the gospel was done for the sake of the name. Or to say it another way. So that the honor and glory of Jesus Christ the Lord would be magnified. That his true character and significance would be made known and lifted up among all the nations. That's what it means for the sake of his name. The gospel of God is a message, beloved, that intentionally lifts up and exalts the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. That attributes to him, the message attributes to him, the honor that he is worthy of. And Paul knew that. And he knew that as one who had been set apart to proclaim the gospel, he could say that he does what he does For the sake of his name. For the great glory and honor of Jesus Christ. That's why. So Paul did not seek his own fame or reputation. But he worked tirelessly. And with great sacrifice to promote the fame and reputation of Jesus Christ. Through the preaching of the gospel. And here's how that works. As men and women from every nation hear the gospel and respond in obedient faith, submitting their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, and walking in obedience to Him. The unequaled significance of Jesus Christ is increasingly made known throughout the world for the sake of His name. One writer says this, and I just want you to give it some thought in regard to that statement. Just give it some thought. The highest... Of all missionary motives, what motivates us to tell people about Jesus? The highest motive is neither obedience to the Great Commission, where we were told by Jesus, go into all the world and make disciples. The writer said, that's not the highest motivation. That's important. It's not the highest. Nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing. And then he says, strong as that incentive is, and it is a strong incentive, I don't want to see sinners go to hell. He says, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God that Paul will talk about in verse 18. Yes, that is an incentive. That is a motive to proclaim God's gospel. But he says it's not the highest. What is the highest motive? It is zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Beloved, do you have a burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ? Do you have that? Do you have that? If you don't have it, have you thought about praying for it? Maybe asking God to expose in your life what is getting in the way of what is the most appropriate thing that every Christian should have in their heart? A burning, passionate fire! not for their own glory, not for the glory of their name, but for the glory of Him, Jesus Christ the Lord. Because that type of passion, that type of zeal, will move you, will move you to honor the Lord with your whole life. Will move you to open your mouth, even when it's scary, and speak about Him. Paul did have this passionate zeal and as a result, beloved, he lit the world on fire with the gospel. As I've said before, he gave his life explaining and defending and proclaiming the gospel of God. Why? In order to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, His Savior, the Lord. And get this, you might say, that was the apostle Paul, Jeremy. Okay? That's not me. I get that. I get that. Except in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1, Paul says, "Imitate me." He says, "Imitate me." Let's pray. Father in heaven, move Through your sovereign power in our hearts, in our minds, move, Father. Move us to a place where we will have zeal for the glory and honor of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Father, those things that impede that zeal, that cover it up, that ruin it, would you expose those things in our life? Would you make us aware Of those things that ruin zeal for His honor. Whether it be sin, laziness, love of self, you name it, whatever it is, Lord. Through Your Spirit, convict us that we might repent of it. That we might see Jesus Christ through faith in all of His glory. And may our heart's desire be to make that glory and honor known. To this world. And by that I mean. To our co-workers. To our neighbors. To our friends. To those we meet in the marketplace. On the streets. May we do what we do. For the sake of his name. For his glory alone. And it is in his name. We come before you. And we pray, amen.